0: Welcome to the Find Your Best Future podcast. This is the podcast that helps international families make great decisions when it comes to choosing university courses. Well, today we're very uh, honored and privileged to have uh, Doug Thomas, the International Recruitment Manager from Edinburgh University in Scotland. Doug, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and, and a very brief introduction to your university?
1: Sure. Thanks, Germany. So uh, hello, everyone. My name is Doug Thompson, uh, and I'm the International Recruitment Manager for Europe at the University of Edinburgh, uh, and I work in a department known as Student Recruitment and Admissions. A large part of our uh, role uh, is to provide advice and guidance to prospective students and uh, just try and provide you with all the information you need about applying to us and what it's like to live and study here in Edinburgh. I've actually worked at the university now for uh, uh, over 11 years, so I guess I must like it uh, here. Um, and as for the university itself, um, well, we're, we're very fortunate in the sense that we're one of the world's leading research universities, uh, and we're one of the, the six ancient universities in the UK, four of which in, in Scotland, um, and we've been around since 1583, so uh, we've we've been doing this for a while now. Um, and, uh, it's, it's one of the, the largest universities in the UK, uh, as, uh, as well.
0: I'm just sort of a, a rather sort of, uh, I don't know off, off the script type of question, if you like, but what is it that you love most about, about your university, about working there? What, what sort of makes it special for you personally?
1: Yeah, well, I think, and, and this is something that can actually get, get asked, uh, a lot. And, it naturally will be, be different for for everyone. But I think, and you know, when you're applying to all of these great universities, and, and many of them have very similar strengths, you know, international student community, uh, world-class facilities, and, you know, leading, world-leading experts kind of teaching on them. But fundamentally, I think what makes Edinburgh that, that little bit different um, is the fact that you've, uh, and it was, beautifully described by uh, a recent graduate um, and, and friend of mine that described it as a, as a Goldilocks uh, kind of city and Goldilocks University. It's, it's not too big, it's not too small, it's just right uh, and, and it's kind of what, what I like about Inbra is the sense that you can have that big city university experience um, and, and be in the middle of a, a kind of dynamic kind of fun city but at the same time have that intimate setting if you know you if you're wanting to get to know of fellow students and staff Uh, and there's just so much going on. Uh, It's all the stuff that happens outside of the classroom that makes it such uh, a kind of rich and interesting setting. Uh, So there's all manner of kind of free lectures and events that you can go to uh, and and kind of learn from, you know, all all manner of different and wild and and, and interesting people.
0: Now, Doug, many of the listeners here are probably not too familiar with the geography or even the climate of the UK. Could, could you just describe briefly like where your university is located, what are the transport connections, your airports, etc., and also what the weather is like?
1: Okay, yeah. So, I mean, the, the university, we're very fortunate, is right in the middle uh, of, of the city of Edinburgh. So Scotland's capital city, which in itself is a very, very small destination. Uh, you know, there's only a population of about Five hundred and twenty-five thousand. so it's a city that's very easy to to kind of get around most students will either walk or cycle um but there's great local public transport as well um so students will get discount on buses uh, across the city um and as to the university we're spread right the way across um, the city itself Uh, so um you know depending on what you're studying you'll probably principally be based in one campus over another Um, but because it's such a small city, it's very easy to get between campuses and wherever you're staying in in terms of housing, um, you know, you won't really have far to go. And for the airports, it's only about 30 minutes either by bus or tram uh, from the city. And when you get dropped off uh, at the kind of central drop off at the Waverley train station, it's only about 10 minute walk from there to the university's main central campus. Um, So in no time at all, You're kind of off the plane uh, and and at the university itself. And then the infamous question, Scotland (laughs) and weather. Uh, (laughs) Because, yes, um, you know, we must confess it does rain a bit here. Uh, You know, it's certainly um, we always advise international students, make sure you bring uh, sort of waterproof clothing because you're going to need it. Um, And it, it does get a little bit windy at times as well. But even though Scotland itself is, uh, you know, the world's most northern country outside of the Arctic, um, you know, and on latitude in line with, you know, Russia and Canada and the likes, it's not actually as cold as you would think. Um, it's it's a relatively temperate climate, being so close to the sea. Um, so whilst our winters don't get as severe as you would uh, see in other parts of, of, of kind of the Northern Circle. Um, sadly we don't get quite as warm summers either so it's usually on average probably about eight degrees uh through during a year um and then it might get as high as 19 20 degrees in the summer although last year got over 30 uh and nearly you know the the whole thing (laughs) fell over in shock um but uh yeah it's it's generally not quite as cold as you would think Um, thankfully there's lots to do so you can get indoors when it does get a bit wet
0: Perhaps I should clarify this for the benefit of our non-British listeners. Um, Doug just mentioned the fact that it's it's, uh, beside the sea and you need a rainproof jacket or coat. Well, yes, but I should point out the sea is not particularly warm for swimming. Uh, But people do go swimming in the sea off the coast of Scotland, so you might be one of these brave people who wants to give it a try. And Doug, you were talking just now about the transport inside the city of Edinburgh. Now, I've been to Edinburgh many, many times. It's a wonderful city and excellent public transport. Um, Probably most listeners have seen pictures of those sort of red double-decker buses that they have in London and other British cities. Well, they've got them in Edinburgh, too. So if you fancy an adventure, you jump on board and you run up the steps. And with a bit of luck, you get yourself a seat at the front and it's lots of fun. So there's something to look forward to if you uh, if you go and study in Edinburgh, um, but to talk a little bit about your university, um, I assume Edinburgh, like most British universities, is a, a publicly owned, publicly funded university.
1: Yes, yes. So we're we're a public research institution, uh, a charitable entity. So and, and that, like you say, is uh, similar to, to most universities in in the UK. You know, most are, are publicly uh, and state owned.
0: Yeah. OK, let's talk a little bit about the facilities that uh, Edinburgh University has, you know, the sort of teaching facilities, the libraries, the study areas, etc.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, you're, I think, uh, kind of fortunate when you when you come here because you've got a wealth of information at your at your fingertips. Um, uh because there's the, the main library itself, uh, which is located right in the, in the heart of the central area and, and all round about that is where most of the, the schools, the, the arts and humanities and social sciences are based. Um, so, so the you know, majority of students will, will spend a fair bit of time in, in the library there. But thankfully, there's also an additional 11 satellite libraries located throughout the, the various other campuses. So all told, I think it's something like three, over three and a half million uh, different uh, kind of copies and journals and books and the like that you, you have access to, uh, and then a whole welter of online subscriptions and the like. So um, there really is no excuse uh, when it when it comes to saying oh I couldn't find a book or find something to uh, to to get in terms for for a class or an assignment. Um, you know, there's uh, it's it's pretty much all, all there for you. And then in terms of the other teaching facilities, well, naturally it varies from, from, one, subject, uh, from one subject to another. Um, you know, there are all manner of labs and workshops, for, particularly for those in STEM subjects, uh, right the way up to, to large scale lectures that you may have in your, in your kind of first two years. Um, and then smaller kind of teaching uh, rooms for, for tutorials throughout, uh, throughout your studies. But really, as you would expect of a a university of our kind, you know, the facilities are are, are top notch. Um, But I always say at the end of the day, really what makes the university uh, and and your own experience of success is is the people. So it's all nice having uh, the kind of bells and whistles of of those facilities. But fundamentally, it's it's the connections that you make with the teaching staff and the student support staff that will uh, make that university experience all the richer.
0: Now, I know students don't necessarily spend all their time uh, studying or with their nose buried in a book or a laptop. Um, What sort of sports and exercise facilities uh, do you have? Because I think it's very important uh, to have a sort of a healthy sort of work-life balance here. Uh, And perhaps you could also talk about the sort of facilities that you have for the theatre, performing arts, those sort of things.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the last couple of years, well, you know, two and a bit years is have proved to us that health and well-being now is 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 fundamental and thankfully um I think universities in, in particular are taken that that on board so you know all manner of support is is there in place but then you know one of the great outlets for that is is sport and exercise and just and just getting out there and uh, and and kind of you know finding that way to kind of switch off from assignments and studies and, and do something else and again we're uh, we're kind of one of the leading sports universities in the uk so many international sports teams when they come to edinburgh will use our facilities and um, so there's the main uh, pleasant sports gym uh, which is located not far from uh, the central campus and around the corner from our school of education and sport um, which has all manner of uh, gym facilities that uh, you, you can make make use of and, and classes that you can attend um, but then in addition to that we've got uh, smaller kind of satellite gyms located around uh, the other campuses uh, there's the peff mill sports complex which has five-a-side football pitches hockey pitches whether uh, scotland's national hockey academy are based uh, as well we have our outdoor center up in perthshire at furbush uh, and if you, you do like outdoor sports then absolutely get up there because it's a breathtaking setting um the, you know there's there's really something for everyone, whether you're a kind of performance elite athlete and, and kind of following some of our uh kind of performance programmes there, or if you're just wanting to go make some friends and just do something for the, for fun and informal, then there's there's all manner of sports clubs you can join. There's close to seventy of them uh now at the the university. So um there's there's really lots for you for you to sink your teeth into.
0: I was looking on on your website earlier on today at the list of sports on offer. I mean, it's just a huge variety of sports. And I I noticed one that sort of uh, got my attention. It says the Underwater Hockey Club. Um, And there was a picture of someone swimming along the bottom of a swimming pool. But I'm still puzzled how that might work. But let's let's leave that thought, shall we? Uh, and perhaps move back to something which is even more important, one of the main reasons why people go to university, of course. uh, You mentioned earlier on that the most important thing are the people and the people who are going to be lecturing to you. Um, Where do your lecturers come from? Do they come from Scotland, the UK, or or further afield? Um, Much like our student
1: community, the the staff come from all over the world um, because, again, it's it's another question get asked lots of international students when they're worried about coming to Scotland they hear about the accent and they think you know (laughs) they get here uh, and there's going to be a broad Scots accent that they can't understand Um, and to be honest you know yes you might get uh, a a Scots lecture that takes a little bit of time getting used to but to be honest you're you know much more likely to be hearing from lecturers and and professors from from all over the world Um, you know we have over hundred different nationalities amongst our teaching faculty, so um, it is a very, very international mix. And partly because you know we see ourselves as a global university, um, you know it's not just our students that we're we're expecting to have that that global outlook, but our teaching staff as well. And and, and attracting kind of world leading experts from all over to kind of bring in their perspectives and kind of teach on on the program. So um, it makes for a very kind of
0: rich and interesting mix. So where do your students mainly come from? Are they mainly from from the UK or or from Scotland itself?
1: No, not at all. I mean, we're we're totaling now just over 46,000 students uh, and around about 28,000 at undergraduate level. Um, And it's roughly split between a third come from Scotland, a third from the rest of the UK and then a third from outside of the UK. Um, uh, and you know I think it's over 160 different nationalities kind of represented amongst that so um, it makes for just this this wonderfully diverse melting pot of different cultures and perspectives and uh, you know hopefully when you, you come you get to kind of meet as many of these people from different walks of life and, and make friends for life um, because that's kind of another one of the, the great consequences of coming to university is that ability to Kind of build your network uh, as you as you go through life
0: um does, does your university have any sort of formal relationships with other universities um, perhaps outside the uk uh, where, where the students can go and do exchange programs
1: yeah i mean we uh as, as sort of being the that that global outlook that i talked about um there's currently over 300 international uh, exchange partners that we have, uh, and these agreements will vary in, in type, some will be just very much uh, about student ability, so kind of, you know, going on your uh, f- either a semester or year long exchange uh, for one of our partners, or it could be uh, a research uh, agreement that's, that's in place uh, and having access to potentially to, to kind of some of their uh, uh, teaching and research facilities. Um, but just to give you an idea of, of you know, some of our research partners, you know, we have key strategic ones in Europe in particular. So um, the likes of University of Copenhagen, uh, Helsinki, uh, University College Dublin, the University of Amsterdam, Leiden, Le- uh, Catholic University Leuven. Um, and then further afield, uh, you, know, your, you know, all manner from the likes of University of Melbourne, Toronto, um, you know it's it really is quite a, quite an extensive list uh, and it, it the handy thing is you can find this quite easily on the website by just kind of typing into onto the uh, the, the web search just you know where do I go and that will bring up a list of all of the uh, our partner universities but um, yeah there's there's lots for you to, to kind of explore and opportunities for our students
0: I mean, that that's a, a very impressive number of, of universities that your students can go to. And I, I think for, for for those students who are listening to this episode, I, I think it's an extremely worthwhile um, aspect of your education, um, if at all possible, to, to go and do an exchange program, because it really opens your eyes to a, a new way of working, a new culture, a new country. And I'm, I'm very happy to see that Edinburgh... Um, really fosters this uh, with its undergraduate students. I have to ask you this question about its rankings. Now, rankings, um, yeah, people often place great store in the rankings. And we've actually made a podcast episode on this topic. It's obviously fairly complex. Um, What are your takings on the rankings? And, And indeed, where does Edinburgh stand in the rankings?
1: Yeah. So it's, it, it's, the first thing I always say is take it with a pinch of salt. Um, yeah,
0: that's what I say too. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, yeah. The, thing, the thing about rankings, I mean, the metrics for them are very different from one set to another. Um, and I think as it is a useful proxy and a way of introducing yourself to, to kind of narrow down that search. Because, of course, you have a dizzying array of universities and courses to choose from. Uh, and trying to, to kind of whittle that down to, to what you think this, you know, best represents your interests. Um, but it will always come back to the kind of the point I said at the outset that really you want to try and find, you know, a connecting with the right people and, and getting a sense. Yeah. Is this the right fit for me? Um, is this a university that I can see myself at? Is it, is it a city that I can see myself in uh, or a town? You know, depending on kind of whether you want something that is a big city-based university or something that is much more small and campus-based and intimate but in terms um the rankings you know look at a number of them don't just go by one um and then see if there you know if there seems to be a pattern emerging um that the university is performing highly in, in across all of them that the particular subject rankings um that is performing highly with fortunate edinburgh that we tend to do quite well um you know in particular the, the kind of research impact and the kind of citations of our uh, of our researchers um, are high and that and that generally across uh, the, these international rankings is what ultimately determines where where universities finish but also that that internationalization uh, and and the mix of our student and staff uh, and, and the fact that they come from all over the world that that also plays a, a major part so you know you can look at say, the QS rankings, uh, which is kind of one of the more widely um, sort of used uh, by by students and, and kind of prospective students around the world, we finished 15th um, for, for this year, so we're, we're doing pretty well.
0: Um, that's that, that, that's amazing, because it's 15th out of several hundred or even several thousand universities. That's, yeah. that's re- really extremely highly ranked, I would say.
1: And I think probably in addition, and one that I always like to, to draw attention to and given all that's going on in the world right now uh, the latest sustainability rankings that QS brought out Mm. Um, and you know hopefully there will be listeners here that do have uh, a a big focus on on trying to make the world a better place because if so then please come to us because we're very much looking for for the next generation in this area and you know we we finished fourth in the world for those and and Mm. the only one in the UK in the top 10 so I mean that's very much a big part of our ethos and a lot of the programs uh, that we're offering at the moment um, so it gives you an idea about what a university is about, but fundamentally, once you've looked at the rankings, start to look into more about, you know, the, the individual courses, get in touch with uh, kind of staff at, and, and students at those universities and, and see if, yeah, it works for you.
0: So let's dig in a little bit and uh, talk about uh, the courses that Edinburgh University is offering. Um, I assume, because you're such a large university, you have a, a very large offering uh, for prospective students. But which which courses do you find are the most popular with your international students, or, or is it fairly broadly spread across the different departments?
1: Yeah, so I mean, I, I mean we offer nearly 400 degree programmes, uh, so right the way across uh, the arts, humanities and sciences. Um, we don't cover everything, we we do come pretty close, um, and as you would expect, you know there are certain sort of subjects that uh, are particularly popular. So you know business will always receive uh, a lot of applications, and the likes of management and uh, accounting and finance uh, is is very very popular. Politics and international relations um, will uh, get quite a, an international uh, mix in terms of the the applications. Um, And then, of course, when it comes to uh, levels of competition, medicine, veterinary studies um, are are, are particularly selective and and tough to to get into. But then other courses now that we're seeing sort of growing levels of interest, uh, biological sciences, psychology, economics, um, you know, there's engineering is always a big one. And then one that's probably been the most competitive and popular for a number of years now. Uh, computer science and, uh, and artificial intelligence. Uh, so it gives you an idea that you know we offer a lot of different subjects and different courses. Um, but the, the good thing is just to get a sense of kind of what those application numbers are like and how competitive those courses are. You can just simply type admission statistics uh, into the search engine on our website, and that will that will bring up uh, some some basic stats for you uh, just to kind of help you in your in your search.
0: Um what qualification do students end up with when they when they graduate from Edinburgh?
1: Yeah, so it's one of the quirks of the ancient universities and often something that will confuse people when they first start looking, either through the UCAS website or through our own website, they'll see a lot of courses listed as MA and think that we offer a lot of masters courses. Um for whatever reason, back uh, many, many years ago, um we decided that's at the ancient unis that we would call many of our bachelor's degrees master of arts Um, and it consequently had the knock-on effect that a lot of our master's programs in the arts and humanities are actually masters of science even though they're not necessarily so scientific so a lot of the courses will have MA attached to the front of them so don't be confused if you see that they very much are the the undergraduate degree Um, but you know it can range considerably it's actually surprisingly easy to have a, a, a different academic qualification uh, listed on, on the degree certificate. So it could be a Master of Arts, it could be a Bachelor of Arts, um, or you can then get into uh, very specific uh, subject uh, qualifications. Um, but, you know, the range of degrees that we offer can start at four years long, could go up to six years in the case of medicine, um, but, you know, there is a, a wide, wide range of qualifications across the, the f- close to 400 programmes.
0: I, I think it's probably worth, uh, at, at this point, for our, our non-British listeners to point out that the UK actually has four constituent parts, England, Wales, Scotland, and Northern Ireland. And, and Scotland is a little bit different in the sense that a bachelor's degree is normally four years, whereas in the other parts of the UK, it's a three-year program. So I think if you're out there researching uh, courses, you, you just need to be aware of that. Um Perhaps we can move on a little bit. So We, we talked earlier on about exchange programs. You mentioned uh, a list of, uh, of impressive universities around the world that your students can go to. But are your students also able to go and do sort of internships or job placements as part of their bachelor course?
1: Yeah, I mean, it very, again, it will very
0: much vary from
1: uh, from one sort of subject area to another. But uh, it's particularly... Um, the case within STEM subjects that you will have industrial placements. And certainly if you don't just choose the, the four year degree program, but the, what's known as the integrated masters, the five year that's offered across our sciences, you will have that opportunity kind of built into to the program. Um, other areas might have something known as sponsored dissertations where, you know, that, that final project you do in your, in your fourth year, um, will allow you to gonna work within an organization uh, and explore a particular theme that they are interested in. And that forms the, the bulk of your project. Or if there's not anything that's formally embedded in your program per se, then uh, our career service provide all manner of information um, about various uh, opportunities that you can take up during your, your time in Edinburgh. And quite often, a lot of students will do it uh, over the summer. Because you have around about three months uh, between the end of uh, the the previous year and the start of the, the, the following year, um, with which to, to either do a spot of traveling, see the rest of Scotland, or um, take up uh, one of the the internship opportunities. Um, so there there are lots and lots of opportunities uh, to take up. Because I think what often gets overlooked when people talk about Edinburgh, you know, we naturally focus on the cultural aspects and, and what, and city life and, and the fun side. But Edinburgh itself is, uh, you know, the second largest comm- commercial centre in the UK. Um, so there's all manner of uh, industry on our doorstep uh, and opportunities for, for our graduates. Um, so it's, you know, something uh, that you absolutely will be able to uh, take advantage of whilst you're here.
0: Uh, you, you mentioned now that you'd, you'd have time to perhaps go and travel around Scotland. I can absolutely recommend it. Uh, if you've never been to Scotland, it's a stunningly beautiful country. There's really so much to do and so much to see. So if if you come to study at Edinburgh University, please uh, factor in a little bit of time to uh, travel around Scotland. Uh, you, you definitely won't regret it. And I'm saying all this, and I'm first of all not a Scot, and I'm not working for the Scottish Tourist Board either, but... Uh, It's absolutely worth visiting. So before we uh, uh, move away from from this, perhaps we we could just talk briefly about the teaching style because a lot of students um, place great emphasis on whether it's a a traditional teaching style with lectures or more problem-based learning. Uh, What what is the sort of dominant teaching style at Edinburgh University? It's gonna be a mix, Um, I
1: think is, and and again, as is always the case, it will vary from from one area to the next. Um, but typically, you know, and usually in your first couple of years or so, you will have some uh, large scale lectures because we're wanting to get a lot of information over to you, uh, and you know, quite in many cases, a broad set of information. So even when you do start to specialise in your later years, you're still equipped with a lot of other themes and uh, and other perspectives that will kind of help you kind of further down the line, should you decide to kind of change path or change tack, and um, you, know, you know, you will have access to that, that information. But then we're very much not expecting that you simply just have to absorb this information and regurgitate it because fundamentally at university, you know, we're wanting you to question things uh, and go, why is it done this way? Uh, should it be done this way? Um, And so the problem-based learning very much will be part of uh, the the teaching you receive from the outset, uh, but very much the focus when you get into those later years and smaller scale teaching and tutorials. Um, So it's, um, you know, you you can't get away from uh, the lectures. It's not necessarily everyone's cup of tea, um, but um, it's uh, it's absolutely something that you do need as part of a university degree just to, to give you that grounding. Um, and now, you know, since we've we've kind of come through COVID, uh, there's there's starting to be different perspectives on how we present that teaching. So it's not necessarily the um, the, the traditional method of going to into you know a big large scale lecture theatre. There could be some hybrid learning as part of uh, as part of that, and and online recordings that you can make use of. Um, but yeah, by the time you get into years three and four. It's very much a focus on you trying to bring in your own arguments and reasoning and critical analysis uh, to, to kind of get to the, the bottom of a, a problem.
0: Um, how are students assessed? Uh, are they mainly assessed on sort of end of year exams or is it more a continuous assessment process uh, through, throughout the academic year?
1: So it's it's pretty common that, you know, the, the end of semester exams are going to form a large part of your 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 final mark for the course, but you will be assessed throughout the year as well. Um, and these will range that, you know, could be group projects and presentations. Uh, could be mini scale reports that you do kind of partway through. So, you know, it's not just going to be one exam that, that forms 100% of the, the, the final mark. Um, there could well be attendance that's kind of factored in and kind of your contributions in class. That, that form a small part of, of the mark. So there's, there's lots of different weightings that they will have in, in order to, to calculate your, uh, your, your coursework o- over the year. Um, but hopefully what the, the course and the teaching is trying to do is, is kind of tease out sort of different skills and, and help you develop uh, in different areas. So, you know, it's not just you going, reading a book and then trying to remember all the answers and get it down for, for the exam at the end of the year. You still will have some of that, um, but hopefully, you know, we will we'll be able to develop other areas uh, through your degree as well.
0: Now, before a student can uh, benefit from Edinburgh's undoubted you know, world-class teaching and research, they actually have to get accepted into the university. And because Edinburgh is a highly ranked university, um, it's obviously a competitive university to get into. So students uh, that I work with, they, they always ask me, you know, like, what sort of a student are they looking for? You know, they're kind of looking for an edge or an angle to sort of maximize their chances of getting in. Have you got anything to say on this topic? Is 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 your particular profile or type of student that your university is actually looking for?
1: Well, I suppose yes and no. Uh, uh, you know, there's there's never a kind of quick answer to this. But um, firstly, we're, we're going to be looking for you know, the, the best and the brightest. So, you know, we we want students that are performing well academically and, and getting, you know, close to the best you know, possible grades. But then after that, it is very, very much uh, a case of, well, we want to see that you're you're passionate about the subject uh, and, well, as it stands at the moment, personal statements uh, and, and kind of, uh, you know, a sense of that you... Understand the subject that you you kind of know what you you want to um, you know do with the degree go going further on and, and kind of what particular themes might be within that particular subject you're interested in, um, but we're also just wanting to to get a sense of you know who you are and I think it's it's worth when you when you're researching the universities and getting a sense you know are you the the right fit for that university uh, understanding what that particular subject area and and academic school uh is is about and what what they offer it could well be you know say if you're applying for law for instance you know we we basically want argumentative people uh so people that are always looking to question you know those that are part of debating societies and, and and doing that kind of uh outside interest uh and super curricular activity um just to 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 get a sense that yeah you could well fit in well here with along with your high grades um, or if you're interested in computing you know what programming knowledge uh, do you have you know what what kind of types of uh, competitions have you been involved in um, so there's no kind of one magic answer to this but it's it really um, comes down to, to you as the, the individual person and, and potentially kind of what else is included in your application that might give you the edge over someone with a similar high-grade profile um, uh, that, that you know, may well result in us giving you the offer.
0: Um, obviously, you, you are looking for high grades, no matter what uh, school-leaving exams that the, uh, the listeners might be taking. Um, but many of the people listening to this podcast uh, will be coming from countries where English is not the native language uh do, do you need uh, evidence of language proficiency in order to enter edinburgh university
1: absolutely so i mean it's no matter where you're from in the world uh we, you know we need to see a, a you know a requisite uh language level uh and and proof of a, english proficiency in order to get onto the program now more often than not um it will come through you know what you're studying in high school and um, so you're studying in english um uh, as part of your, your school qualifications. If you meet a certain level, then that will be sufficient. If not, um, then you would have to take a, um, an additional language test such as an IELTS or a TERF or a Cambridge test. Um, but all of that information and kind of what we would look for uh, is including what's known as our degree finder, which lists all of the programs we offer and, and the, uh, the necessary entry requirements Um, and then also a link to uh, the the English language requirements page, which will list all of the the high school qualifications that we would accept for for English language purposes.
0: Now, we've been talking about the academic program at Edinburgh University. Uh, What kind of academic support is offered to students? I mean, sometimes students struggle in in various ways uh, with, with their studies
1: absolutely and you know let's face it, it's pretty it's a pretty common experience at some point during university you'll go through that imposter syndrome and think uh why am i here uh, I, I i you know i can't do this um and you know needless to say at the outset if we've accepted you and given you the, the offer then you absolutely are good enough but um you know naturally there could be certain obstacles that you you come up against and at the very outset all, new, you know, all students will have uh, either a personal tutor or a student advisor um, that they can go to, to to talk about. You know, it could be the course options uh, when they're, they're wanting to choose optional courses as, uh, for the, the semester and just wanting a little bit of guidance, um, or if they are starting to encounter any uh, additional uh, learning problems. Um, you know, who do I need to now talk to? Um, because once you've had that initial conversation, if there's Uh, what's known as a learning profile that would need to be put in place, so people that might have uh, specific learning difficulties um, or or extra support uh, needed, then we would then put you in touch with our student disability service, um, uh, and then they would then discuss, you know, what support we can put in place for you. Um, And then throughout the year, each of our academic schools have a student support office, where there's professional support staff on hand um, to, to kind of help you with any queries or concerns that you might have Um, but then we'll also keep a record of kind of how you're performing throughout the year so if uh, you start to encounter difficulties and your marks start to drop then they can flag that up pass that on to the the relevant uh relevant academic support and then set up a meeting just to see right what support can we can uh, extra support can we give you just to try and uh sort of get those marks back up again um and then outside of that formal structure there is, of course, the Students Association, um, because the, the kind of peer support that they provide um, is fantastic. So it could well be you're just trying to get used to a kind of learning in this new environment, this, this new country. Um, uh, and the Students Association can go, right, OK, well, all these students kind of within uh, within your particular academic school. Or we could have just global buddies who are just there um, to, to kind of sit, have a chat with you. Um, you know, just try and kind of help you uh, with, with anything that you, you might need help with. Um, you know, there's lots of different ways and avenues for you to connect either with staff or fellow students to try and help you uh, during the year. Um, the, the only real thing that you need to do uh, as that individual is just talk to us. Uh, so, you know, as long as you kind of reach out, then um, there'll be those on hand to, to help you.
0: I mean, it sometimes happens that a student is struggling academically because they, they've got some other sort of background, social or emotional issues going on in their lives. Um, how does the university support students uh, in, in that situation?
1: Yeah, well, and, and again, in particular, over the last, uh, I think the last couple of years, that's, that's come right to the forefront. Mm. Um, and uh, Edinburgh, I mean, the, the Student Disability Service are very much at the, the forefront of this. And they're, they're kind of one of the, the leading um, of exponents and and helping students in that way and they're part of what's now the new health and well-being center which is right in that uh sort of bespoke uh, new facility that houses the counseling service the disability service uh the local doctors uh, and the pharmacy just on one site and so it's it's kind of an easy go-to portal if if, uh, you have any concerns raised um, but then there's the, the kind of formal structures that I, I talked about just just now. Don't you know reporting, uh, and, and you know you go to your personal tutor um, or student advisor if you have any concerns. And then if it is something specific that we need to put in touch with specialist support staff, then it will get referred on. And naturally, all of this is done confidentially. Um, uh, and then we'll you know make sure that you know you've got all the support and help um, that you need. Um, And it could well be that actually it's not necessarily, uh, you know, what we get to the bottom of it, that it might not be something that's solely just about the pastoral nature. If it's just, you know, oh, well, actually, what we need to put in place is just to give you a bit more understanding about academic referencing or something like that, Um, then we can refer you on to, you know, the Institute for Academic Development, which run a whole manner of study skills workshops and and the like, which become particularly useful around assignment times. there, there is, I mean, the support network at Edinburgh is extensive, um, but again, it just comes back to that, that issue of just talk to us if, if you need help, you know, reach out. Um, and I finally, just cannot stress enough that often just speaking to fellow students um, is, is, a, is a big, big help because at the end of the day, you're all in the same boat together. Um, and you know if you've got particularly going you know talking to your friends and talking to to, to classmates um, about what your concerns might have you know either they'll be able to reassure you and help you from that from that moment on just be there as just some support or suddenly discover ah they're actually feeling the same way and this this makes it not quite so daunting.
0: I think it's a very valid point you make because uh, talking to the students high school students that I work with when they're faced with the uh the prospect of going away to university they have their mix of emotions everything from fear to extreme joy uh, and and everything in between uh, but i think um it's worth pointing out that if you are in that position as a listener and you're about to go away to university it's really important to understand that all your fellow students will be in the same position as you and you sort of help each other and talk to each other. And you sort of get through this together. The most important thing is don't sort of sit there on your own and think there's no help there uh, because just reach out and talk to people. Doug, um, health services on the campus. Um, I assume that you have them. Perhaps you could just describe what they are.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, um, uh, within... um, the, the, the sort of largest of the, the university campuses in the central area. Um, there's the, the local GP practice and pharmacy, um, which is you know, right there on uh, within the the, cent, the health and wellbeing centre itself. Um, but then when you kind of start in your, in your first week, when you come for, for welcome week, one of the, the kind of practical things um, that you, you need to do is register with a local GP, a local doctors, um, and are, are kind of, Pre-arrival and induction team that, that kind of oversee Welcome Week, provide you with that information. And then um, local National Health Service staff will be then coming onto the campus uh, to, to kind of help with you get sort of registering. And, and how you do that is usually tied to where you're staying. Um, so kind of near to, to kind of your, your local area. You can then register with a local doctor and get and get that sort of thing done. Um, and then really, it's uh, after, after that, um, uh, other kind of practical aspects to understand is that for international students, there's something known as the international health surcharge, um, which you, you have to pay, before, um, and that actually comes as part of your visa requirements when coming into uh, into the UK in order to have access to all the health services uh, uh, and the like. Um, but Fundamentally, um, you know, once you are here as a as a student, um, then you know you, you will have access to, to a whole range of of health support, um, and you know it's it's not just the, the doctors again, it's the counselling service, it's the disability service that that are on hand. Should uh, there there be more specific uh, requirements that you uh, and support that you need.
0: So let's move ahead a little bit to uh, the end of the week and you have finished up your studying and now it's time to enjoy yourself. What sort of things do Edinburgh University students get up to at the weekends or or in the evenings? Well,
1: there's probably a few things that I can't can't talk about in that that regard. But but, um, I mean, I think it's it's one of the big selling points of Edinburgh um, is the city itself. Um, because for, for such a small city it is remarkable what are the, the amount of things that you can do uh, in an evening and a, and a weekend. Um, you know, there's a whole range, I mean, from ranging from museums and galleries. Most museums and, and exhibitions are free, um, so, you know, you won't have to pay. It's only really kind of the high-end exhibitions that might have a charge, but if they do, student discount will go a long way. Um, right the way through to sort of pubs and bars and pubs and restaurants. Um, you know, it used to be, I'm not sure, you know, since since COVID it might have changed with, sadly with some businesses closing, but um, Edinburgh uh, had the, the record of more restaurants per head than any other city in the UK. And it kind of oscillated between us and London uh, as, to, as to how that was. But we're, we're known as, well, we were awarded the foodie capital of the UK last year. So it's certainly, I think, pretty close. Um and you know when I do talks such as this and talking to international students, I, it always comes down to food at some point. Um, usually at my behest because I do love my <laughs> do love my club. Um, <laughs> there's a huge range of lovely eateries right next to the university. Um, so and and they range from all manner of different things. You know, it could be Brazilian, Korean, uh, Indian, Thai, Sudanese, Afghan. I mean, there's the works all right next and. Uh, you're, you're spoilt for choice.
0: Um, what, what about traditional Scottish cuisine? Is there anything that uh, our international students should try when they come to Scotland? Absolutely. Uh,
1: and um, I think we do have a reputation for just deep frying everything. Um, <laughs> and yes, that does happen, um, but it absolutely isn't what Scottish cuisine really is is about. And I think that may be a, a slight surprise to you. The quirky things to try, though, and may not be to everyone's tastes, um, there is there's haggis, um, which uh, is basically. I love yeah. haggis. I, I do as well. Um, <laughs> but yes. When people realize what it is, uh, they can be a little bit off put, but it's basically the innards uh, of a sheep just wrapped in, the, uh, in, in a sheep's stomach. Um, but it is delicious. Trust me.
0: Uh, it, a, it really um, is, yes um,
1: Or if you don't want to go down the meat version There is a vegetarian version uh, as, as well um, and, and that's uh, a particular delicacy um, And then If you kind of go, I would actually say Venture out of Edinburgh a little bit And go a bit further north up the east coast uh, Where you'll get some of the best fish and chips uh, You're likely to find uh, And it's some absolutely de- Delicious seafood uh, There's the likes of Smokies uh, There's kind of smoked fish is one of my favorite things um uh an absolutely delicious weapon uh up, up and around fight. um but then you know scotland itself salmon langoustines uh all manner of you know meats beef lamb venison. uh it, you know there's there's lots of kind of traditional scottish dishes that way and then my favorite of all scottish dishes is cullen skink um which effectively I suppose leek and potato soup with a lot of cream and a lot of smoked haddock. Absolutely delicious, especially at this time of year when it's really cold. Um, uh, so I would heartily recommend that to, to anyone.
0: Actually, uh, ju- just a sort of a tip for our, our listeners. Um, if you come to study in the UK, anywhere in the UK, Scotland, England, wherever, um, and you want to try fish and chips, you really need to ask a local, where is the where is the best chippy, as it's called, or fish and chip shop? Because fish and chips can, as Doug just suggested, be absolutely excellent. It can also be, well, let's say less than excellent. So ask a local. They're always friendly, and they will point you in the right direction. So we sort of got got into this whole sort of culinary bit about Scotland that I wasn't expecting. Uh, but... Listening to you talk about all those foods, I mean, I I obviously don't live in the UK. I'm I'm here in Austria and I'm sitting here and I haven't had my dinner yet. My, My mouth is watering thinking, gosh, yes, I'd love to have some of that. However, it's going to have to be, I think, a takeout sushi from the little Chinese place around the corner because I haven't really got time to cook much this evening. However, I suppose we should get back to talking about university and higher education, Doug. Otherwise, we could go on this topic forever. Um, Perhaps we could uh, talk a little bit about when students have graduated from Edinburgh. um, How is your alumni network? Because it's so important to be well connected uh, in your future uh, professional career. Can you say a little bit about how Edinburgh Alumni Network functions? Yeah, and
1: I think it's something that we will encourage students. You know, during your degree, reach out to um, you know our various alumni networks and, and find out you know how did you get to where you are today, uh, you know on the back of your, your Edinburgh degree, um, and you know that can be done either through the the, the academic school that you're in or through our um, our specific alumni and development. Uh, team uh, who will organize events as well and um, there's, there's a, a database that you can sign up to um, uh, to, to connect with alumni uh, in that way or it could just be when you're back in your uh, your, your hometown um, sort of connecting up with with the local alumni association that that's uh, active there uh, and from a European perspective um, you know we, we have uh, particular areas where they are very, very active. So Brussels, Amsterdam, Paris, uh, Berlin, Helsinki, um, Madrid, uh, and Athens, you know, are, are very, very active uh, indeed. So there's there's often either formal events that are put on where you know there might be uh, sort of guest talks and, and evening receptions, right the way down to just informal get-togethers, meeting up on a you know a Sunday afternoon. Um, for, for some lunch or you know a drink or two uh, and, and just catching up and, and kind of regaling you know stories about life back in in Edinburgh. Um, there's, there's lots of ways and it is a, a, a large alumni pool that you can uh, connect with because um, you know it comes back to right what you said at the outset about this, this global outlook that we have uh, and you being able to hopefully make friends for life and can stay in touch uh with with kind of fellow classmates where you know whenever you all return home to different parts of the world uh and hopefully you know it may well be that it even helps you in your your career further down the line as well
0: i suppose that all all this is going to happen after you've graduated from edinburgh university but let's sort of turn the clock back to uh your first day when you arrive as a new student year one what sort of support do you offer these incoming students who've probably come either from different parts of the uk and don't know edinburgh or else they've come from abroad um, how do you support them when settling in because it it's obviously something which can be a little nerve-wracking for an 18 year old leaving home for the first time
1: yeah absolutely and, 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 you know it's something that we you know we naturally understand because we've all been through it uh, at some point um and the, the help begins before you even get to Edinburgh. Um, so, you know, once you've, you've got that offer and, and you, know, you, you know, once they get into August um, and just before you depart, you know, you'll be sent lots of information from your academic school and course handbooks and just ch- trying to give you an idea of, right, these are the types of things that you're gonna be doing in the, in the first semester. Um, touch things to to kind of prepare for but then there's a pre-arrival and induction team who oversee all the events of welcome week when you're here in Edinburgh but they also provide a wealth of information um, before you get here to help you kind of prepare for for life in Edinburgh uh, and oversee what's known as the new students website um, which has all manner of practical guidance Uh, you know you could join various Facebook groups uh, just to, to kind of connect with other students that are kind of Uh, new to coming to the the university as well um and then once you arrive in edinburgh and report into kind of university housing uh and and speaking to our accommodation team um each halls of residence and each uh, set of student housing has their own uh what's known as res life team um which is a warden uh, and resident life assistants um who are there to to kind of help help you settle in but then also put on all manner of Various cultural events uh, and, and kind of get togethers. So, you know, you can start to, to meet uh, other, other students within the halls, but then also, you know, get a, a feel uh, for, for Edinburgh as well. And then during Welcome Week itself, there's all manner of events and activities put on, uh, either through the Students Association or through your academic school. Um, there's, uh, you know, lots and lots of different ways to, to find out uh, about Edinburgh, whether it's trying haggis. Um, uh, or, you know, joining in in a Cayley, which, uh, a Cayley is basically Scottish country dance, um, and a a very, very fun way to spend an evening. Basically, don't worry if you don't know the steps or the moves to the dance, you basically just spin round lots and get thrown about the the dance floor, um, and it is a lot, a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, actually, uh, Cayley's are a lot of fun. Uh, Doug, you know, Perhaps our our students are going to see uh, a poster up somewhere advertising a ceilidh, uh, but they might not recognise the word as being Caili. Could you maybe spell it for us so they will know what they're looking at? Yeah.
1: So yeah, there's uh, basically a lot of silent letters in in Gaelic. So, uh, so yeah. Caili as it, uh, is actually spelled uh, so C E I L I D H. Um, uh, so, um, yeah, there's, there's a little bit of, that's, that's uh, of Gaelic yeah.
0: I mean, as you said, it's a, it's a Gaelic word. Um, for those who don't know, uh, Scotland actually has a very old language, Gaelic, uh, which is spoken mainly out in the west, on the islands on the western side of Scotland. Um, but don't worry, if if you only speak English, you'll get along just fine in Edinburgh. It won't be a problem for you. <laughs> Now, a question I often get asked by my students is uh, accommodation. Is it guaranteed for first year students? Is it guaranteed for the whole three or four years of the bachelor degree? Um, how is this at Edinburgh University?
1: Yeah, so I mean, there's, um, the, the short answer is in first year, all students from outside of the UK are guaranteed accommodation. Um, so we're, we're fortunate that we have a very, very large suite of housing uh, at the university. Uh, all of it is centrally located. Um, so, you know, you won't have to spend much time at all getting from door to door uh, when, when getting to classes. Um, and it's very much a range of accommodation. Um, so there could be uh, either uh, the, the most pricey ends, the, the kind of single on-suite rooms, right the way down to, to kind of shared flats and, and self-catered. Um, it very much varies depending on your, um, you know, your particular tastes. But uh, all of that, information is is on our accommodation pages. So you can kind of go on there, have a look at the different types of housing that's available, how much they'll, they'll cost throughout the year. Um, but then when you get into later years, most commonly is that students will move out of university halls uh, in second year and move into private housing. Now, it must be said it can get a little bit trickier to find housing uh, in Edinburgh if you leave it late. Um, because the rental market is very, very competitive. Uh, And what happens is that if students leave it until August to look for uh, private flats in September the following year, (laughs) there's a small matter of the International Festival Fringe being in Edinburgh, and you won't find anything uh, in Edinburgh during August. Um, So it can be uh, a little bit problematic. Um, But the good
0: thing is- Yeah, I think you sort of mentioned that Edinburgh is obviously a large university. Um, so there's a lot of students looking for accommodation, but it's worth pointing out, Edinburgh's not, actually not the only university uh, in that city. There are other universities there too with students who will also be looking into the private market. So I think your advice you know, to uh, start looking early is, is very good advice. Um, are there um, you know, halls of residence which are gender separated? Because some families uh, or people are looking specifically for that
1: yeah so i mean there's uh, there's various preferences that you can um you can put in so once you have your your unconditional offer you're ready to start with us then you can uh, apply for accommodation uh, and within that you you submit your five choices so you know i kind of talked about that that top level um choice of you know whether you want self catered or catered single ensuite shared but then within that you can specify if you do want um just a, a, a single sex uh kind of halls or you know whether there's there's other uh things to to factor in it could well be um you know that you're you're wanting uh, a particularly quieter uh block could well be that you you know you have particular um religious beliefs and and um you know it could well be that you you know you're, you're not wanting to share with with certain um people you know it could be uh you know just vegetarian or or anything like that then you can submit all of this information as part of the, the accommodation application and then we can uh, sort of allocate accordingly because how we allocate at the university isn't okay. done on a first come first served basis.
0: Mm. Thank you. Um, I suppose we should mention food briefly. Um, when students are in the hall of residence, uh, they, they obviously have kitchen facilities where they can prepare their own food. but. During the day, when, when a student leaves the accommodation in the morning and probably comes back in late afternoon or early evening, they're going to be on campus, they're going to be attending lectures uh, on and off the whole day, um, and will presumably want to purchase some lunch uh, from one of the cafeterias on the campus. You know, approximately how much does a student need to pay for a lunch? And I, I guess you have like a sort of swipe card or they just swipe a credit card. Is, is, is that how it's organized? well there's various ways you can go about it so yes i mean there's there's done where you you can
1: sort of pre purchase and and have the you know that sort of contactless and, and using the the card uh that way specific within university cafes or simply just through your own personal account um and it very much varies uh as to as to how you you know how much you you pay uh each lunchtime naturally the the university cafes and just grabbing a quick sandwich or a coffee and uh and a pastry um, will will be cheaper. Or if you're feeling a little bit more flush and willing to spend six, seven pounds uh, upwards uh, at lunchtime, then, you know, you can go to one of the many kind of delicious restaurants that are are kind of scattered around the the university itself. Um, But yeah, I mean, budgets and and costs will will naturally vary considerably, but uh, usually um, there's there's plenty of uh, sort of choice for you. Um, when you when you come out at at lunchtime Um, but particularly in in and around the central area it can get quite busy Uh, so yeah you've got to kind of time it to making sure that you're you're not just trying to give yourself five minutes before uh, a lecture at one o'clock you could struggle uh, in, in that regard
0: now it's time to start talking money um, because, of course, universities charge tuition fees, and then there are the other costs as well. But perhaps you could outline um, the tuition fee costs for students at Edinburgh University.
1: Yes, so I think it's worth outlining that again, you know, we, we mentioned this at the, the beginning, that Scotland does things a little bit differently uh, from the rest of the UK, and that certainly comes into uh, play mm-hmm. when we're talking about fee status and subsequent tuition fee costs. Um because for uh students, depending on kind of what your uh fee states you're categorized, either as uh local Scots, um, in which case you know your fees are covered by the Scottish Government. Um if you fall into the rest of UK, then it's nine thousand two hundred and fifty pounds. Or the international uh people, in which case fees can vary considerably and are considerably higher. Uh and depending on the subject. Uh, Edinburgh could range anywhere from £24,000 a year right way up to £35,000. Um, so uh, it's um, absolutely in your interest to, to kind of do that, that research. Uh, you can go onto our web pages, find out what your likely fee status will be, and then have a subsequent look at uh, what the, uh, the likely tuition fee costs will be for you during your at least four years of study.
0: In, in addition to the uh, tuition fees, of course, uh, we, we were talking just now about housing and, and and then there are other costs as well to factor in, like sort of buying yourself some food and bus tickets and, and bits and pieces. So approximately how much a month do you think a student needs to budget to actually live in Edinburgh?
1: Well, it can of course vary, uh, but we mm. usually say approximately about 1,100 pounds a month um will we'll cover you for for all your rent and and daily living costs um the good thing is because edinburgh is such a student-centric city you know not just ourselves but three other universities in the city there are lots of ways to to kind of save and budget uh during the day so all manner of shops will offer discounts for students um you know it's not just public transport where you can make savings but uh food and uh, and, and the like as well um so that's that's absolutely something you will pick up quickly when you come into to Edinburgh.
0: Now we, we've been talking about sort of spending money and the other side of the coin, of course, is earning money in the first place. Um, is it possible for uh, foreign students to actually work in Scotland and earn some money alongside their studies? Is, is it legally permissible? Yes, although there are
1: conditions. Uh, so if you come uh, in on a student visa, you're permitted to work for paid employment up to 20 hours per week. Uh, if you go over that, then you're going to incur the wrath of the UK Home Office, and you absolutely don't want to be doing that. Um, so, um, there are, um, but irrespective of where you're from uh, in in the world, uh, or in, in you know just a local student, when you start this the, uh, with your studies with us, you're given access to our jobs database, My Career Hub. Uh, And that will list all opportunities, whether they're internships uh, and the like, or it could be part time work um, or graduate opportunities afterwards as well. But there's lots of ways to find that paid employment. Uh, And, you know, it could be just working in a cafe or it could be uh, something more attached to um, your degree or even joining our student ambassador team. Uh, and helping give campus tours and participating in student panels, helping out open days where we're actually, you know, one of the um, sort of best paid kind of student ambassador schemes uh, in the UK. So that's always something that we try to promote because we always like to uh, add to our student pool each year.
0: I can actually tell you, Doug, that because I go and visit a lot of universities as a college counsellor. And I'm always shown around the campus by a, a student or perhaps a, a group of students. And for me, it's one of the most useful and interesting parts of my visit to a university. It's just to have that chance to sort of talk to the students as you walk around the campus and just chat to them about their impressions of their academic program and what it's like to, to live in that city and study at that university. So, and I, I think that ambassadors do an excellent job and if you are listening to this podcast and you might be about to become a university student as doug says it's a great job see if you can get a job as a student ambassador now the other aspect of finance apart from work is financial aid and now a lot of our international students have researched the possibility of studying in the united states where financial aid is large and, and very often generous but How is it structured in in the UK or more specifically at Edinburgh University? Is there actually financial aid available for students coming in?
1: Sadly, it's not as comprehensive as it is in the States uh, or even anywhere close um, because Edinburgh, there's only a small handful of scholarships available uh, at undergraduate level and they're they're very much tied to specific subject areas. Uh, So I know that there's there's small awards in the likes of uh, School of History uh, and Mathematics, but it's not very much, you know, certainly not the case across the board. And you're usually only talking about maybe 5,000 um, pounds. So when you're paying 24,000 plus, and it's not gonna go very far. Um, most students that come with funding to Edinburgh do so from their home countries. Um, and will do it through either government backed schemes or private sponsorship. And um, sadly, we're just not in a position to, to offer much in the way of undergraduate scholarships, um, but it's worth looking, you know, other Scottish universities um, do, and in particular for European students here, um, you know, will uh, offer either substantial discounts uh, and, and pin their fees uh, in line with home students, uh, or will offer uh, larger scholarships as well. So do have a look around, but sadly at Edinburgh, we don't offer that much.
0: I, th- I think it's worth pointing out that uh, it's unrealistic to expect the same level of financial aid that you see in the United States if you're applying to the UK, no matter which university you're going to, uh, it's, just, uh, it's just a different system. Okay, we'll stop there and uh, then we can move on to uh, visas um which is a fairly i mean i'm I'm not going to read through all these questions for the visas but perhaps i'll just ask you to sort of outline how students go about applying for a visa Um, that's it really Um, oh and uh yeah okay so let's go for it five four three two one now before a student can even arrive in the uk um from a foreign country they will need to have a student visa because you cannot just enter the uk as a tourist and expect to sort it out later on you actually need to get your study visa your student visa sorted out so how does a student go about doing this okay so yes this is
1: uh, an important part of the, the the final part of the application that you do not want to get wrong um, mm. uh, you, you need to be very very careful when submitting the visa application but thankfully there's lots of help and support on hand during this part of the process um, because each UK university will have its own dedicated uh, student immigration team who will provide visa advice for you uh, so when you come to start an, a degree uh, in the UK you have to apply through the student route and that will mean that you know one of the conditions being 20 hours of paid work per week for instance um but what happens is that you when you've got the unconditional offer you will then uh fill out the the visa application form go to your local uh visa center um and then they will process uh that visa application hopefully in plenty of time um for you to arrive in the uk uh, ahead of your studies but you've got to get that key information right Uh, and it actually costs you so there'll be the cost of the visa itself um, there is of course the immigration health surcharge that I mentioned before and the cost of that um and then just when you're coming into the UK you will also have to provide proof of funds uh, potentially um when you're you're checking with uh, with customs um, but all of this is talked through step by step guidance on our student immigration pages if it becomes kind of a little bit overwhelming which is understandable um then you can make an appointment with our uh, visa uh, advisors uh, and, and talk through the, the process and just understand what it is that you, you need to do. Different types of visas, uh, processing can, can exist. So you can do the express service in some areas. Um, so if it is getting towards the end of the summer and you're a bit worried about kind of latest start dates and, and the processing times, and um, then potentially you can be done a little bit quicker. Um, but ideally, Um, You know, you'll be applying for your visa once you've got that unconditional offer start of the summer, uh, giving yourself plenty of time ahead of uh, the studies
0: commencing in September. If we we take a look, a sort of a holistic look at the entire four years that a student will spend studying for a bachelor degree at the University of Edinburgh, um, what sort of skills does a student typically develop? Uh, I know um, parents and parents are particularly interested to know you know, where do your graduates go on to work? Where do they use these skills? What are, the, what are the typical careers that students move on to when they leave Edinburgh University?
1: Yeah, and I think it's, um, it's one of the advantages of the Scottish system um, that, you know, with it being the four-year rather than the, the three-year degree employed elsewhere in the UK, those first couple of years and giving you the opportunity to take more outside courses, a little bit more flexibility in your degree, just allows you to, well, not only get a broader knowledge base, um, but also get different perspectives on certain themes, and, and kind of develop during during the degree itself. Um, but something that we place great faith in is just ensuring that you know once our students are are out the door, that they are very much employable, that they've got a wide skill set. You know, we are not just expecting you to be uh, well versed in a particular subject area, that we you know you're getting exposed um to different areas so it could well be within group work presentations you know mock interviews uh you know different ways that we were kind of building you up to ensure that when you get out and in front of an employer you stand the best possible chance of of getting that job um, now that will either come through formally within the degree itself or you can make appointments with our career service and have kind of one-to-one appointments with our careers consultants uh, and see right these are the sort of areas that actually I need to improve. What is it that I can do to help me uh, look better in uh, in these interview situations? And they can help develop those soft skills for you. There's also something known as the Edinburgh Award that you can get, which uh, will chronicle all the, the volunteering, outreach, and other activities that you've done that count towards a kind of unique award that you can show to employers just to say, well, I've got all this academic knowledge, but also, Here's some other skills uh, as well that uh, that I can put to
0: use. I, I think that uh, it, it, it's an interesting uh, matter that you flanked up there, the, the fact that if you study in Scotland, you're going to be doing four years. And, and it does allow students to take you know other subjects alongside their major. And I would say from my experience that, that this is one of the most valuable things uh, that a four-year programme can offer students. Um, I I was having a conversation a few years ago with uh, someone from the admissions office at one of your neighboring universities just up on the coast of Fife. And uh, she said to me that the the Scottish model of a four-year program um, was actually picked up by the United States when they were founding their universities, you know, two or 300 years ago, which is quite an interesting thought. Um, but it's also worth flagging up the fact for the listeners that you can go onto to a university website all the British universities have this and you can look at the employability rates and that's quite an important data point to have a look at you can see universities publish what percentage of their um, graduate students or graduating students are employed within usually within six months of graduating and this will give you a little feel about you know, the employability of the students, and very often universities list um, the sort of careers or the sort of companies that their graduating students move into. Doug, you have done an excellent job in uh, describing all the wonderful things that Edinburgh University has to offer, and I am convinced. I want to come to Edinburgh, but how do I maximize my chances of being accepted? Can you talk about the process, the deadlines, the cost of applying, the documents you need, all those sort of things?
1: Yep. So for for Edinburgh's purposes, you know, we will only accept applications via UCAS. Um, So you're very much uh, kind of predetermined by their deadlines uh, and how that works. So just to outline quickly, for those that aren't familiar, UCAS is the, the kind of national application database within the uk um, and what happens is that you submit your choices to various different universities through there um, and their deadlines are are set in stone um, so very much, the early deadline for, for medicine veterinary studies dentistry is in the middle of october and then for everyone else uh, the, the equal consideration deadline for home students in the uk is uh, the last wednesday of january Um, And then international students can still apply after that point uh, up until June. But we always say, get your application in on that January deadline, um, because we receive a lot of applications and we can't guarantee that we will have places left later in the year. Uh, And quite often, a lot of courses will close February, uh, March time at the very, very latest. So for ease and just for peace of mind, get your application in by that January equal consideration deadline um, and then in terms of kind of what uh, it, it, the documents that you need and what we, we look for um, well we need to see predicted grades um, the, uh, and this evidence of information from either you know, one of your teachers or, or guidance counsellors um, what you are expected to graduate, well, finish your high school uh, uh, with, and what grades you're likely to get, um, so we can benchmark that against all of the other applications that are coming in from from different curricula around the world. That's the key piece of information um, that we will determine for those that that have yet to finish their their studies, because fundamentally we're going to look at the academic grades first, and solely that. And it's only when we start to filter further down uh, the the funnel that we will start to look at personal statements and other information. Um, So the key thing is just to get all of that academic information in first, um, because we're not going to chase you up if you've not done that uh, in time. Um, So you don't want to unnecessarily rule yourself out.
0: I think the message here is get your application in before the deadline, because if you're going to be applying to top universities like Edinburgh, uh, there are going to be a lot of other applicants and you really need to get there before the deadline. Doug, I know that in some parts of the world it's quite commonplace that students uh, use an agent to help them with their applications. Uh, does using an agent actually improve their chances of being accepted?
1: No, I mean we will just take every individual application on its, on its own merit. Um, so, uh, you know, even we work with particular organisations and agencies around the world um, so, um, it's not as though if you, if you go through that particular agent, you'll stand a better chance because fundamentally, you know, we are just going to be looking at your academic grades, the profile of, uh, of you as uh, an individual student, um, you know, naturally agents can help in certain matters and, and, you know, they, they'll be more familiar with the application process and visa systems and the like, but fundamentally, um, you know, it's not going to make a difference to that that individual application uh, that you're you're working with. Uh, you know, one organization in particular. Uh, everybody, the equal consideration is the key part. You know, everyone stands the the same chance.
0: Um, we've certainly covered a lot of, of very very detailed and valuable information uh, in this podcast episode. Um, is there anything that you would like to add that we haven't covered so far? Um, I think that the, the- probably the, the one thing that I want
1: to uh, sort of end, uh, sort of finish on, I suppose, um, is it's a daunting process. We get that. And I know that applying to Enra itself can be quite an intimidating thing, um, but understand that the other, uh, at our end, we're human beings as well. We've been through this. So if you do have concerns and you do have questions, just get in touch with us, um, you know, and it doesn't necessarily have to be staff like myself. Um, you know, you can reach out to students. Uh, we, you know, we have text-based chat and ask our students on our website so you can find out more about individual courses and the like. You don't necessarily have to come physically to Edinburgh to speak to the students on campus tours. Um, there are lots of ways to kind of reach out to us and hopefully give you the information that you need to make the application process easier.
0: Um... We, we always encourage our students in the school to have a plan B, because if they are applying to a, a top competitive university like Edinburgh, they can't guarantee they're going to be offered a place. Um, is there any other university or universities that you would recommend that they should have on their application list?
1: I think it, it always comes down to that, that right fit for you. Um, you know, so, I mean, I always talk within this, the Scottish sphere because I think we're really fortunate that we have such a range of different types of universities that are excellent in different, different areas. You know, it's very popular for international students to be choosing between ourselves and St. Andrews. And we're very different institutions. Um, you know, we're in the middle of the city, much larger. St. Andrews is about a third the size of us in a small town uh, on the coast in Fife it gives you a very much more campus-based feel that you get to know everyone so if you're not wanting to be in the middle of a city and just want that kind of small-scale teaching st andrews might be a better choice for you um or it could well be that you're looking for the best possible nightlife and the best kind of you know alongside the great teaching glasgow could be an option for you um or if you're very interested in sports then it could be ourselves or it could be sterling um you know you know which is, is kind of Scotland's Centre for Sporting Excellence. So there's lots of different types of universities for you to to look into. And I would uh, always say, just reach out to different people at each of those institutions and get that feel for what uh, best meets your own particular interests.
0: I think it's worth pointing out that Scotland, although it's it's a relatively small country, um, has an excellent higher education system and a long, long tradition of valuing higher education and a lot of universities and colleges there Um, in case you as a listener are not quite clear which cities in the UK are in Scotland and which ones are in England um, you can just use the filter on the UCAS course search website and then you can just get a list of Scottish universities. Um, Doug this has been a great pleasure talking to you thank you so so much for this Uh, I think it's going to be extremely useful for a lot of our listeners who are considering studying in the UK. So you have been listening to Uh, Doug Thompson from the University of Edinburgh thank you very much Doug
1: thank you my pleasure
0: thanks so much for joining us today if you enjoyed this episode please don't forget to subscribe and share the find your best future podcast